Thanks for joining us today at the Vine Church. We're one church with two locations and reaching around the world with the help of our online service. We exist to connect the world to Jesus Christ. If you'd like to partner with us in doing that, you can share this service with others and give by clicking the link below. For now, prepare your heart for some incredible worship and an inspiring message. We sing to you, God. We worship you alone. We sing, holy are you, worthy are you, God. Come have your way, Father.
Well, how are you, church? Did the, uh, the bass in there scare anybody else? Yeah, like a little bit. Um, uh, <laughs> when we were testing the audio out this morning, people were like, a bomb? Did a bomb go? No, not a bomb. Um, but it is the beginning of our new series called Ruach, not Ruark. You know, it's the southern way to say it, but it's not the correct pronunciation of it, um, Pedro. Anyway, so um, <laughs> it's great to be with you as we begin this uh, brand new series. Um, I got introduced to the word Ruach in an interesting way. In order to be ordained in our denomination and in our church, had to go through three years of a, a master's program, master's of divinity degree. Uh, it's one of the hardest uh, master's degrees to get, especially at the place that I went to. A lot of people call it seminary. Some of us affectionately call it cemetery. And um, in, in order to, uh, to go to get my degree, I had to go through a class called the History of Christianity. And um, this was probably the most famous class that was taught at the seminary that I went to because of the teachers that taught it. It was an extra long period of class, so it was not your normal class hours. It was an extended class period, and it was taught by a duo of professors. Their last names were Mallard and Bondi, and, um, and they were like famous. And so like I was super excited, and I walk in, and these people are ancient, you know, and uh, I think that's why they taught history of Christianity, because they've seen the history of Christianity. Um, and uh, <laughs> they were just old. They were awesome. I didn't know how awesome they were. But the first day of class, we get to the place where I'm like, oh my gosh, like, I like history, but not this much, you know. And um, it's taken on, like, dragging on and on and on. And, and uh, the woman, uh, Bondi, she had been teaching. And then um, Mallard gets up. And he's this old guy. And he, he comes up to the front of the class. And he's like, everybody stand up. So I want you to stand up. So everybody stand up. So y'all stand up. So he gets everybody to stand up. And he says, I want everybody to take a deep breath in. So everybody take a deep breath in. And he said, when you exhale, I want you to say ruach. So let's try that again. Ruach. Let's do it one more time. Ruach. All right, you may be seated. You stand back up. No, Catholic Church. Anyway, um, so yeah, um, so we went through this and I was like, what in the world did we just do? And, um, and he didn't pronounce it with an R at the end, you know, and, and so what did we just do? And, and he introduced us to a Hebrew word. Now, in order to go to seminary, we didn't have a prerequisite of knowing Hebrew. And a lot of seminaries had a prerequisite that in order to graduate with your Master of Divinity degree, you have to get Hebrew. Um, it is not a prerequisite for you to come to the vine and to know Hebrew. So that's good. You're off the hook there. Um, but he taught us this Hebrew word, ruach. And ruach was a Hebrew word that literally translated, could be translated as breath. And so what he was teaching us to do was to name our exhale breath, ruach. Breathe in, breathe out ruach. But ruach could also be translated into our language as wind. It can also be translated as spirit. And when you see the phrase spirit of God in the Old Testament, it was ruach Elohim, ruach Elohim, spirit of God. And, and what's interesting about this word ruach is that it is used um, almost more frequently than any other word in the Bible. In the Old Testament, ruach is used over 400 times. Its New Testament counterpart, pneuma, is used over 300 times. And so ruach is used frequently throughout the scriptures, and yet it's one of the most frequently misunderstood words 
misused words, and then I think maybe one of the most missing words from an individual's vocabulary in faith and also the vocabulary of faith of a collective group of people called the church. Yet it's so frequently used in scripture. And it's vitally important for a life of faith and the life that God has called us to. Um, In fact, you can make the argument that without the Ruach Elohim, the spirit of God, there would be no faith in the first place. You can make an argument that without Ruach Elohim, the spirit of God, there would be no Bible. For thousands of years, people have thought that this book that has been timeless was actually God-breathed. And Old Testament God followers believe that. New Testament God followers believe that. It's written down in the pages of the New Testament. You can make an argument that without Ruach Elohim, the spirit of God, that there would be no Jesus. Because for 2,000 years, Jesus followers have believed that Jesus was born as he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And what I want to make an argument for today is that without Ruach Elohim, we would not even have life. Life would not be possible. And over this series, what we want to do is learn about the Holy Spirit, head and heart. Ruach Elohim, we'll be using that kind of phrase um, synonymously throughout this series, that to know the Holy Spirit, head and heart, is vitally important for us in order for us to live the life that God designed for us and that God desires for us. But to do that, we need to understand that life itself is created through Ruach Elohim, the Spirit of God. Um, It's important to know that the Spirit of God is a person of God. Uh, If you brought your Bibles, you've got a Bible app, I want to invite you to go to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 is um, pretty easy to find in the Bible if you're not familiar with it. It's right next to the table of contents, actually. So you go to the table of contents, turn a couple pages to the right. Genesis means beginning. And so Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 is the very first book, or very first a verse of the first book of the Bible. And in it, it states something that is kind of universally understood and believed, even by people that don't have a specific faith that they ascribe and subscribe to or a religion that they're a part of. If a person believes in God, they will almost universally say that God was an agent of creation in some way of everything that we see and don't see. And they didn't come up with that on their own. It's found here in the very first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, The word God in Hebrew is Elohim. Everybody say Elohim. Elohim is an interesting Hebrew word. You might think that this is a Hebrew class. Um, Pedro, pay attention. Um, Elohim is a a Hebrew word for God that is used most frequently as the word for God. Um, And it is a combination of a Hebrew word and a Hebrew ending that is attached to words. The, The first Hebrew word is El. El means God. It's singular. But then him is something that you would put at the end of a Hebrew word that means plurality. So there's this interesting thing about God and who God is. And that is that God is singular in that there is one God, and yet that there's this plurality of personhood that is involved in this one God. And so if you're here for the first time, and this is your first time being in church, welcome to church, where we believe a lot of confusing things. They're really hard to understand things, and it's even harder to explain. So we believe that there's this one singular God, and yet that God exists in three persons, 
And, and I don't know of a, a lot of great ways to explain that. I mean, I, I've seen everything from children's books try to explain this theologically. They all fall short. Uh, I've done my best to try to explain that theologically to people over, um, over 20 years of church ministry, and, and they all fall short theologically. Some, if you break it down far enough, could even be heretical. And so, like, it, it's really hard to explain. Kind of the best examples that I could come up with are, like, um, if I were to ask you for the elemental compound of water, what would you say it is? H2O, thank you. I think the students jumped in there because that's fresh in their minds, right? Thank you, Lily. All right, so H2O. But what's the elemental compound of ice? H2O. What's the elemental compound of steam? H2O. So they all have the same elemental compound. They just express, H2O is expressed in, in three different forms. And, and so that's similar, but it breaks down because like you can't have ice and water and steam all at the same time. And so again, it kind of breaks down. Uh, another way to think about it, again, it's not the best, but another way to think about it is like your own personhood, your own existence as a being. And so my name is David. Hi, David. And, you know, and uh, David exists as um, David, the son of Murray and Claudia Walters, uh, David, the husband of Liz, David, the father of Lanny, Braden, and Carly, and Kate. I think, yeah, I think I got them all. All right, so um, David exists as one David, but David the son, David the husband, David the father. And those three um, descriptions are, are distinct, and yet there's only one David. And by the way, it's really awkward talking about yourself in third person, all right? One David, three distinct persons, and yet that still breaks down because who was I before I was a husband and who am, was I before a father? So you, you get it? I mean, it still kind of breaks down, but this is kind of getting to the core of this like ancient belief that there's one God, singular El, Ochim, plural, three persons, one God. And there's this universal belief that in the beginning, God created everything. This one singular being, three distinct persons created everything. And typically, if you were to ask people of faith, well, who created, which person, people are going to direct back to this father understanding of God, this person of the father that the father created. And yet what we learn through the pages of scripture that Jesus or Christ was involved in, in creation, that everything was made um, through him and for him and by him, um, but what we actually see in the pages of scripture, get this, is that the first person mentioned in creation, in the creation, is the person of Ruach Elohim. Ruach Elohim. Let me show you. Verse 2. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God, y'all say it with me, Ruach Elohim, Ruach Elohim was hovering over the face of the waters. The first person of God mentioned in scripture and attached to the story of creation is the person of the spirit of God. The spirit of God, Ruach Elohim, is a person of God. And you see that in kind of this universally understood expression of God's self, and that is through creation. And so you see that the power of God universally believed in, in creation is accomplished through, at some level, the work of the Holy Spirit, hovering over, over the face of the waters. And some of you might be thinking, well, hovering doesn't sound like it's too powerful. 
like hovering doesn't sound too powerful. And that's because when, when we think of hovering, we think of passivity, like a parent that hovers over their child, you know, passively making their presence known, you know, the helicopter parent. But that's not the intended purpose of the inspiration that came to write that the spirit of God, the Ruach Elohim, was hovering over the waters. The word hovering could maybe better be translated fluttering. But fluttering just doesn't sound that cool, right? It doesn't sound cool to say the Spirit of God fluttered, uh, you know, over the waters. The word um, that we translate into hover or flutter um, is a, a great strong Hebrew word, rakal. You want to say that? Rakal. Some of y'all did. It's a great strong word. The only other time it's used in the Bible is found a little bit later in the scriptures and the prophets that uses this word to describe an eagle that flutters over its nest. In the way that an eagle would stir the nest of its eaglets to start to fly themselves. And so I love this imagery where you and I, we wouldn't be able to see the stirring of the wind, but we'd be able to see the effects of the wind. And so hovering or fluttering, it's not passivity, it's power that we might not be able to see directly because it's wind, it's breath. You can't see it. Well, you shouldn't be able to see breath. You know, you can't see the wind, but you can see the effects of it and it starts to stir. The eagle stirs the eaglets to step into what they were designed to be, which is one of the most majestic of all creations, being able to soar high above and have a vantage point that other creatures could not have. And so here you have in Genesis 1-2, the Spirit of God hovering over waters. Have you ever seen a helicopter hover over water? You can't see the wind of the helicopter, but you can see the effect of the wind over the water. It stirs. It stirs. And so the Holy Spirit is responsible for stirring creation and starting creation. The Holy Spirit is a person of God where we attribute creation to, to God universally, almost 7 billion people would say. And here we find that the Spirit of God, a person of God, is stirring creation. And he stirs that within the soul of our being as well. Uh, let's take it a little bit further. In Genesis chapter 2, we know that um, God took some dirt. It's probably a little bit more like clay kind of fashioned it, formed it, and I don't know, made a little stick figure body with it, you know, don't know what was full, like, I don't know. But then what we know is in chapter two, God breathes into that formless dirt, and it gave life to humanity. Fast forward a couple of chapters, and Genesis chapter six, the author of Genesis says that that breath was the breath of God, Ruach Elohim. We move forward a couple more chapters and we come across this guy named Moses. Maybe you've heard of him. And Moses says that his existence is only because of Ruach Elohim, 
the breath of God. We go to this guy named Job that most of us can relate to where at some point in seasons of life, we go through these, these down moments where we might feel like we've lost everything. And in his desperation of losing everything, he says that his existence exists because of Ruach Elohim. His friend Elihu, who is next to him, who, who gave some bad advice at times, said something that was dead on accurate and true. And that is that the Ruach Elohim, the the, the breath of God, the spirit of God is the giver of all things, the maker of all life. It is the breath of the Lord that has given him life. The very fact that you and I are here is because the spirit of God was at work and the spirit of God is at work creating because he is God. And then Jesus says that, hey, if we want to experience the life that has not only been designed for us, that, that you and I are, are kind of living, uh, we, we were designed to breathe, we were designed to exist, we were designed to have, uh, to, to have life, we were designed, designed for that, but God desires that we would have life to the full. If we want to experience life to the full, which includes life eternally, then we need the spirit of God to stir within our souls a recreation. We, we see this through a conversation that Jesus has with this guy named Nicodemus. It's kind of a, a famous story if you've been in church world for a while. If you haven't, Nicodemus was this religious leader and he had either seen the power of Jesus's ministry or he heard the power of Jesus's teaching about life in the kingdom, um, life living to the fullest. And so he pulls Jesus aside one night. They go and they grab a meal at the Waffle House 2,000 years ago where you can have safe conversations at night, by the way. You know, you can go in kind of the darkness where you don't want anybody to know. Um, uh, that you're there. And, and he has this conversation with Jesus and he says, hey, Jesus, how do I have life eternal? Now, eternal life, we kind of associate with, we die here, then we go like, and we live with God forever in heaven. It was, it was a more loaded term 2000 years ago. It was more than just like life, like that starts then. It's kind of like life that starts uh, now. And so he's kind of saying like, how can I experience life? Not just like, you know, and breathe in, but how can I experience life, the fullness of it? And Jesus says, well, you got to be born again. Now, anybody that's been through science class or has learned about biology knows that that's probably a difficult thing, right? Because we know how life comes about, right? We're born through the womb, we're here. And so Nicodemus, he knows enough about life to know that it, like being born again is kind of a challenge. So he actually says to Jesus, it's recorded in the pages of scripture in John chapter three, Jesus, how is it possible for a man to enter into his mother's womb and be born a second time? Have you ever, like, picture? Anyway, like, it's weird. You know, so, like, a weird question because we get it. It's not possible. And Jesus was like, oh, no, 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 that's not the birth I'm talking about. In fact, he describes it in these next couple of verses. If we have those verses from John chapter three, let's go ahead and put those up. This is what Jesus says. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. So, so when we're born the first time, it's flesh. We are designed for that. We take a breath, we have life. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Ruach, or in Greek, which was the earliest manuscripts of the New Testament, pneuma is spirit. In Jesus's language, he would have been speaking Hebrew. That which is born of the Ruach, capital R, is Ruach, little r. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. 
In other words, he's like, don't freak out about this. Here we go. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. You, you might not be able to see a physical rebirth. You, you might not be able to see a person come out of the womb a second time but you can see the impact of the Spirit of God stirring a soul to start this recreation that only the Holy Spirit can do. When you were born the first time, you're born of flesh. But if you want to live eternally, if you want to experience the life that God has designed and he desires for you, then you must be born again. And you might not be able to put a whole lot of language to it or understand it, you might not be able to see like it necessarily, but you can see the effects of it. And you can see the effects of the Holy Spirit stirring within a person's life. And you've probably felt that stirring before yourself. You might be experiencing that stirring right now where you know something is just kind of churning. Something is moving like an eagle flapping its wings to stir up an eagle, eaglet, so that it will soar and step into its destiny as a created being. Like the spirit hovered over water, uh, flapping and fluttering and moving so that all that was formless could take shape and have life. That is the work of God. And Jesus says, if you want to experience life that God intends for you, it must come through the Holy Spirit, the Ruach Elohim, must come through the Spirit of God. And so Nicodemus asked the question, well, how do I get that second birth? How do I get, in other words, how do I get that spiritual birth? How do I get that spiritual life? And Jesus says, you must believe in me. You must believe in me. And I think what Jesus was doing in that moment was just letting us all know that the life that God intends for us is only found through the work of Jesus. In fact, we're going to learn later in this series that the Holy Spirit says back to, to us that, hey, we got to go back to Jesus. If we want to experience life in the Spirit and life in the fullness of God, we got to go back to Jesus. But I think it's bigger than that. And this is what I think the Lord wanted to say to us today. That while it's important to know that the Holy Spirit, the Ruach Elohim, is a person of God, it is more important to know personally the Ruach Elohim. While it is vitally important for us to have our like, heads knowledgeable about the fact that the Holy Spirit is a person of God, it is more important to know personally the Holy Spirit. And that's why Jesus said, believe in me, believe in me, believe in me, this full person expression of God that you can touch, that you can see, that you can hold, that you can have. God wants you to know more, uh, uh, more of him personally than he does uh, wanting you to know that he is a, a person in three persons of God. And so many of us, we're, we're stuck here, we're stuck here, and it's never translated. The hardest distance for a person to travel is the distance between their head and their heart to know personally God. And if we want to experience all that God has for us, it is vitally important that we don't misunderstand, don't misuse, and don't miss out on Ruach Elohim, the spirit of God who stirs in our souls this recreation to live a life that God intends for us. And then Jesus does something interesting. 
after his like his main crew, his his people, kind of have this moment of believing. They they've seen him die. They've seen him come back from the dead. They know he he is the Son of God. They're all in after the resurrection, which you and I, we would be too if we physically saw a person die and then come back from the dead. And, and they'd been saying for three years they were the son of God and we sort of believed it, but now we really believe it. He says, before he leaves him, he says, hey, I'm gonna depart from you, but when I leave, I'm gonna leave my peace with you. And then John 20 says something interesting. He breathes on them. And he says, receive the Holy Spirit. In his language, he, ruach. And then he says, receive, ruach Elohim, the breath, the wind, the Spirit of God. I heard about a story of a farmer. I don't know if it's true. It's probably not, but it sounds good the story of a farmer who had a friend. The, follower, the farmer was a f- follower of Jesus. The friend was not a follower of Jesus. And in fact, the friend was somewhat antagonistic about faith. And, um, and the farmer was trying to convince his friend that he needed um, God in his life more than he needed um, power, possessions, and popularity. And his friend just said, no, nah, I'm, I'm good with those three things. I'm good. I don't need God. And um, the farmer, kind of out of desperation one day, took, took his friend's head and he just plunged it underneath the water that was in a horse trough. And he just held his head under there. Um, doesn't sound like Christian ministry to do that, but held his head under there and had it, held it for, for a long period of time. And then as his, his friend started struggling, he, he pulled his hand off. The guy comes up and he says, what did you feel while you were under the water? He was like, I was desperate for air. And the farmer said, that is the same desperation that we have for God. That same desperation we need to have for God. And it's only through forgiveness of sins and lordship that we can experience the life that we were intended to have. Um, I thought about getting a couple of horse troughs um, this morning just having everybody come through individually and I'd hold your head, that would be really actually gratifying um, for some of you, you know, to push your heads under the water and just kind of hold it there, you know, for a little bit of time. Um, but you know, that would probably wouldn't be appropriate and we'd probably make headlines for that. So, um, so I was thinking about what, what's an alternative to that. And so here's what I've come up with. And I just, I need you to participate. Okay, look, all right, I need you to participate. Um, and here's what we're going to do. Um, we're going to have a hold your breath competition. Here's how we're going to do it. I'm going to count to three. And on, on three, you're going to take a deep breath in, the deepest breath that you can take, and you're going to hold your nose. Um, and you're going to hold your breath for as long as you can. And um, here's, what, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pinch your nose. But I don't want you to cheat like you did when you were a kid having a hold your breath competition where you would lower your hand over your mouth and you'd be breathing through your mouth, but your nose would look like it was pinched. you know what I'm saying? How many of you did that here? Yeah. All right. So we're going to have a hold your breath competition. I want you to hold it as long, even if it's holding out long as I can. There's a prize for you, not really. Um, I just want you to hold your breath as long as you can. So here we go. Young to old, on the count of three. One, two, three.
<laughs> I can't do it. <laughs> so you're still going. I heard somebody sound like an elephant over there. <laughs> oh, we still got some people. We still got some people going. Don't make eye contact with anybody else. We didn't have to wait this long at 9.15. If you don't make it to lunch before the Baptist, you're at fault here. When you hold your breath long enough, like you start to think, I've got to breathe or I'm going to die. I've got to breathe or I'm going to die. And we get to this place of desperation where the only, think about, the only thing we can think about is taking a breath. I long for the day where individually, where as a pastor of people who are desperate for the more, who, who typically seek it in possessions and, and popularity and, and people and power, would become so desperate that they would recognize that it is as simple as breathing in and breathing out an awareness of the presence of God who can work to create and recreate life in us. You give life, you are love, you bring light to the darkness, you give hope, you restore Every heart that is broken, great are you, Lord. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise, pour out our praise. It's your breath in our So we 
Begin to pray. 